wonderful show is keeping up with the Joneses. AJ Jones. Hi, babe. We have a little bit of uh, sadness in our heart, don't we? Yeah, we have a whole lot of sadness in our heart. To let everyone in on what's happening. Tonight we were going to record a podcast as normal. It's our typical Sunday habit to sit down and record a podcast. And we had everything good to go. Yep. And then we realized that the week got the better of us. Yeah, it sure did. Talk to us about this week, baby. Um, well, four out of five of us ended up with pneumonia in the last couple of weeks. So Tia finally succumbed this week. So lots of being up at night with coughing babies. And the antibiotics that she was on were doing nothing. Right. And then it didn't help that we got a snowstorm, which pretty much shut down our city. Yeah. And we were literally cabin fever for three days. Yeah. In fairness, uh, this is the most amount of snow I've seen since we moved here. Yeah. It is a, an official record for Franklin. Okay. But when you look at the rest of the East Coast of the United States, we got off pretty easily. Oh, yeah. People can't find their cars. Yeah. I think we had 10 inches in Nashville. Is that right? 10 inches of snow. Yeah. Yeah. So we had pneumonia, we had snowstorms, and then last night as we were just climbing into bed, really, we got a text from some friends of ours asking us to pray for a mutual friend of ours who'd, who'd just collapsed. And he, it sounded really serious, he'd stopped breathing, and the EMTs who were there on the scene couldn't find a pulse. So you climbed out of bed, you drove over, they were just around the corner from us, and you just went to go be with people and support them. I stayed home, texted everyone I knew who was awake at that time and some people who weren't and Hmm. just asked people to pray. Yeah. But sadly, our friend Justin died last night. Yeah, he did. And it's not even 24 hours have passed since then. And it has knocked us for six, really. Yep. It really puts things in a completely fresh perspective. So, you know, you hear news like that and you think it's impossible for highly improbable reasons. Like, that that can't be possible. I was just FaceTiming with him. That, that can't be possible. I was just texting with him, and yet the... He was so healthy. He was so healthy, and and yet the facts don't lie. And so we, along with all of his friends and family, are coming to terms with the fact that Justin is no longer with us, and it's absolutely not just for six. And we were talking and we were saying it would be very hard to come in and just record a podcast, the one that we'd prepared and just do our jovial banter. So we thought we're not we're not going to do that, but we are going to come in and say hi to everyone. And especially to ask everyone who's listening, if you could just say a prayer for Ashley, that's Justin's wife. Um, but we just can't even imagine Justin just celebrated his 30th birthday a week or so ago. And they were set to move into their new house this week, and this is not what you expect to happen at all. And so the community here is pretty shaken. But we also didn't want you guys to go away without something to listen to. So if you don't mind, we're going to take a departure from our normal podcast programming. And we've prepared uh, something we preached a while back that we think you'll find super encouraging. Next week, we'll be back with normal programming. But until next week, stay warm, stay safe, stay loved. Two Sundays ago, as in not yesterday, but the week before, Jeff was, he stood up and he was talking about when Heidi Baker was here and Heidi said something to him in the car and said, hey, you know, you are not a church, you're a movement. And Jeff said that, you know, that really struck him. And he said this, he said, you know, it kind of feels a little bit arrogant to say that. And as he's saying that, I'm sitting on the front row and I just go, just get this download of Revelation that I just quickly write out. And that's what I was going to share tonight. And the topic, for those of you who like topics, is tonight's message is called The Thin Line. I think something happens in life or there's a defining moment in life for you 
where you actually have to decide which side of the thin line you're going to be on. Now, this is a really easy topic. This is not like scary or heavy. This is going to be life-giving. And then we're going to do some activations in a minute. But Father, would you help me tonight? Just stay on track. And uh, that would do. Uh, that, that's it. Like, if you can just help me stay on track, I'll be happy. If you've got your Bibles with you, turn with me to First uh, Samuel chapter 17. I'm probably not going to read all of this because we'd be here for a long time. Okay, so the, the context here is it's the story of David and Goliath with a little bit of a twist. Okay, so Goliath is going out and he's terrorizing people. And uh, let, let me just read here. I'm going to, 1 Samuel 17, I'm reading from the New Living Translation because I like to read my Bibles in a version of English I actually understand. It says it's the Philistines. Philistines are Philistines. Philistines. Philistines, you're real help. The bad guys now mustered their army for battle and camped between some place and another place. And Saul countered by gathering his troops near the Valley of Elah. And so the Philistines and Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was a giant of a man measuring over nine feet tall. I was going to say stone the crows, but the last time I said that, you laughed at me. He wore a bronze helmet and a coat of mail that weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leggings and on and on it goes, okay? And then it says an armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a huge shield. How would you like that job? <laughs> no. Uh, verse 8, Goliath stood and shouted across the Israelites, do you need a whole army to settle this? Choose someone to fight for you and I will represent the Philistines. We will settle this dispute in single combat. If your man is able to kill me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel. Send me a man who will fight with me. And when Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Then it goes on to describe David. And in this particular scene, David's still a little shepherd boy. Okay, all his brothers are off to war. They're all good looking and amazing. And he's really the runt of the litter. No offense, David. And uh, his dad actually one day sends him with like some sandwiches and says, hey, take this out to the, your brothers who are in the army. And um, where are we? Let's see, verse, what verse? Yeah, let's go to verse 19, okay? So his dad just said, hey, Give them, give these, and give them 10 cuts of cheese to their captain. Weren't you a captain? What were you? A sergeant. Did you ever wish that somebody would give you 10 cuts of cheese? You're out in Iraq just going, you know what I could do with right now? It's 10 cuts of craft cheese. That would cheer me up. But apparently I did it in those days. Anyway, David's brothers were with Saul and the Israelite army at the Valley of Elah fighting the Philistines. Okay, I'm going to speed up because I want to do some stuff. Anyway, um, Goliath comes out and all the, uh, you know, Israel's army start freaking out. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And David kind of hears about this giant. And so he, he says this, David uh, talked to some other standing there to verify the report. Uh, he said, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and putting an end to this abuse of Israel? He asked him, who is this pagan Philistine anyway, that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? And David received the same replies before. What you've been hearing is true. This is the reward for killing the giant. Basically, you get one of the king's daughters and your whole family line is excluded from paying taxes. But when David's oldest brother, Eliab, heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. 
What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and dishonesty. You just want to see a fight. What have I done now, David replied. I was only asking a question. And he walked over to some others and asked them the same thing and received the same answer. Then David's question was reported to King Saul and the king sent for him. And so, you know, he goes before the king and you know what happens. He basically says, look, my Lord, my God has kept me from bear and from lion when I'm guarding the sheep. The same God that looked after me then will look after me there. I can't handle this guy is defying the Lord's armies. And so what's interesting is he has absolute confidence in God. As a young boy, I don't think he's got absolute confidence in his fighting skills, but he's like, look, I've seen this happen a million times. Big enemy, bear, lion, whatever. I've seen it time and time again. God just backs me up. And so I'm going to go out. And so I was like, uh, right, you are. Just sign this disclaimer and we'll be fine. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the story goes out and the Lord's for him and he... Um, in the PG-13 version of the Bible, he knocks him down with some stones and then cuts off his head, which is great. I love that story in Sunday school. And so I read that story because I wanted to highlight the very thin line between humility and pride. So David is completely confident in God and that's actually humility. But his brothers mistook his confidence in God and said, who do you think you are? You're so proud and you're so arrogant. And I'd like to suggest tonight that if you are going to do anything in life, if you are going to make a difference, at some point, you're going to have to move ahead from the crowd. If you want to have influence, if you're going to make a difference, you actually have to move ahead from the pack. Otherwise, you're not making a difference and you're just actually part of the scenery of the status quo or status quo. How do you pronounce it? Status quo. Thank you. And so the question you're probably going to get asked is, well, who do you think you are? Might not come in that way, but if you have a sphere of influence, which you all do, by the way, you're all called to be influencers wherever you are. And I want to encourage you, maybe right now in this season, you're learning how to be an influencer, but maybe you are already an influencer. Maybe you're a school teacher, you have influence in your classroom. Maybe you're a manager of a restaurant, you have influence there. Maybe there's a call of God on your life to influence nations. Influence kings, presidents, influence your family. And so if you don't think you have a sphere of influence, that's okay because you might not yet, but one day you will. We're all called to influence. Jesus said, you are my witnesses. You are the salt, you are the light. There there isn't an option. Well, actually there is, and that's the whole point of my message tonight. Well done, Alan. Blow the punchline. Um, at some point in your life, walking with God is going to ask you to do something that you cannot do. All right? I like prophesying <laughs> or healing the sick or whatever. And I would suggest to you that when God asks you to do something that you can't do yourself, that is the start of your destiny in life. Okay? So how many of you are content with your life right now? I mean, it's okay to be content with your life. I have found that in life, I go like this up and then I, not, I don't mean plateau out of boredom or nothing's happening. I mean, I plateau and enjoy the accomplishments. Enjoy the accomplishments. And then the Lord's like, hey, guess what? You want to go another round? And I'm like, how could it get even better than this? And then up we go again. But I want to encourage you that some of you, and this, this isn't bad, some of you have not yet come into your destiny. 
And that's okay because you spend time preparing for your destiny and you get a call, then you get you know, training and then you get commissioned and that's, that's all okay. But I would suggest that if you don't yet know what your destiny is in God, tonight would be a great night to find out. Okay. <laughs> There's a little mouse that's very excited over there. See, when you, partner your, when you partner with God, you're actually partnering with the impossible because he's the God of the impossible. And so if what he's already asked you to do, you're able to do on your own, then you've probably outlived that season of your life because he's constantly taking you from glory to glory, okay? Not boredom to boredom and certainly not meetings to meetings, okay? Let me give you... Let me, and so... For those of you who have not yet encountered that, let me give you some top tips about what happens when you encounter that. And I want to take you to a story of a friend of mine. It's found in Exodus chapter 3, and it's the story of Moses burning at the bush. This is just for anybody who missed Sunday school as a kid. I'm just hitting the highlights, okay? David and Goliath, Moses burning at the bush. Uh, We should probably do Noah's Ark at some point and just uh, finish off the holy trinity of Sunday school stories. You know, there's some crazy stuff in the Bible. Have you noticed that? Do you know one of David's jobs in order to uh, win, wasn't it to get a, anyway, one of David's jobs was to collect 200 Philistine foreskins. How's that for a job? (laughs) You think your job is difficult, okay? (laughs) Can't believe I have to work at Starbucks. Could be worse, okay? And he brings them home in a bag. Oh, did anybody count them? Anyway, okay. Exodus chapter three, verse one. Hey, if it's your first time here, it's never normally like this, okay? Normally it's very sober. Exodus chapter three, verse one. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father. Now I wanna encourage you in this, okay? Where did God's amazing call on Moses' life happen? In his normal everyday life. For those of you who are complaining that nothing interesting happens to you, God loves that lament, okay? That's like an invitation with a big red target to come and mess with you, okay? So, and here's the other thing. I I said something a while ago about God moves a movement. Somebody retweeted it this week and I I just thought that was a great point I made, well done. Um, But it was like, you know, God moves in movement. You actually have to be moving to move, right? So find something to do, right? Find something to do anything and just do it. And in the midst of doing, God will show up. And so anyway, he went deep into the wilderness near Sinai, the mountain of God. And suddenly the angel of the Lord appeared to him as a blazing fire in a bush. And Moses was amazed because the bush was engulfed in flames, but it didn't burn up. Amazing, Moses said to himself, why isn't that bush burning up? I must go over to see this. When the Lord saw that he had caught Moses's attention. I love that line. Like God's watching to see if he gets our attention. Isn't that interesting that you can fascinate God? He's like, oh, I've got his attention. I'll go speak to him. God called him from the bush. Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, God told him. Take off your sandals for you're standing on holy ground. Then he said, I'm the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he hid his face in his hands because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, you can be sure I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries for deliverance from their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their sufferings. Do you know why that's significant? Because that was the burden on Moses' heart. 
If you read years before that, he was so overwhelmed with the oppression of his people that he took matters into his own hands, literally. And the reason he's fled Egypt is because he killed a man. All right? What's my point? My point is that God is concerned with the burdens of your heart. And whatever God's put on your heart that is weighing you down, that you're wanting breakthrough, is probably the very area that he's going to call you into. Right? How many of you at any point in your Christian life have been terrified that God's going to get you to do something you don't want to do? Right? Oh God, I don't want to stand up for an altar call like this. You're going to send me to Guam. Okay? No offense to anybody who wants to go to Guam. There are some people like that. I just want to go place where there's steady electricity, Wi-Fi, and air conditioning, okay? Um, but actually, God will call you. Now, sometimes he'll call you places you don't think you want to go, but really you do want to go. That was my experience. But he's actually, deep calls to deep. He's answering the deep calls of your heart. Anyway, so he says, hey, I'm going to go do this, and I'm going to go rescue them. And verse 10, this small little chestnut, he says, now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You will lead my people, the Israel's. Um, the Israelites out of Egypt. And so this is his Moses's, this is his Moses's, <laughs> this is Moses's response. Verse 11, but who am I to appear before Pharaoh? How can you expect me to lead the Israels out of Egypt? The Israelites, what is going on? Then God told him, I love this. This is God messing with you 101. Then God told him, I will be with you and this will serve as proof that I have sent you. When you have brought the Israelites out of Egypt, you will return here to worship God at this very mountain. Ta-da! Like, think about it. He's like, hey God, how do I know this is really you asking me to do it? Well, when you've done it, you will have done it. (laughs) Your reassurances are not very reassuring, (laughs) but it gets better. I'll make it really difficult for you. And on and on he goes. It's interesting that Moses' response is very like our response to God when he ups the ante. When Graham Cook was here, whenever he was here, November last year, December, I beg your pardon, he said this, which I just thought was a great line and I wrote it down. God meets us with who we are. And we meet him with who we are not. Our first response is always to say no. And I understand that because of the point I made earlier that God asks you to do something impossible. Hey, Moses, just uh, nip on over to the most occult, most powerful nation on earth. Just set my people free. I'll be over here. When you get back, we'll have a party on the mountain. Okay, that's ludicrous. It's totally ludicrous. But you see this all the way through scripture that God has a crazy plan and he wants to invite you into it. And what's funny is we're actually desperate to God for God to move on our behalf. And when he finally does, we say, ah, just kidding, no. Psych, got you. How many of you have experienced that? God actually draws, you're going, God, draw close, draw close. And you're like, okay, back up a little bit. <laughs> it's funny if you go on and read the story, Moses, is, Moses, <laughs> Moses rejects God's call five times. Think about it. The Lord appears speaks audibly to him about the very thing his heart is crying out for and he actually says no five times. Tries to give it away. Verse 13 of Exodus 4, he says, but Moses again pleaded, Lord, please send someone else. How many of you know who um, Reinhard Bonnke is? 
So if you don't know who Reinhard Bonnke is, his, he's an evangelist. And the largest single meeting he's ever done is he preached to 1.6 million people in one meeting. In the last five years, he's seen over 42 million documented salvations. Right? Incredible evangelist, a very godly man. And, you know, that's one of his crusades. By the way, he's kind of like over here. And that's just as far as you can see people coming to hear about Jesus. And the thing that I love about, you know, listening to him is he tells this story. I'm going to read it to you. And this is him describing his first experience that got him where he is now. Because it's very easy to look at people where they are now and think, oh, if I just do what they do, I'll get where they are. And that's not how that works at all. But listen to what he says. He says, I was lying in bed praying to God when suddenly I saw a vision of all of Europe and North America painted with a large brush of evangelism. And I asked God, what does this mean? And he told me that he had a work for me to do. But what knocked me out of bed and threw me to my knees is when God told me I was not his first choice. I was his third choice. He'd asked two other people who'd rejected the call. I immediately said to God, you don't have to ask number four. Number three accepts. And after that, God's plan unfolded clearly before my eyes. Now, I mention that for a couple of reasons that I wonder if one and two now look at the fruit of the call and thought, oh, I could have partnered with God and seen that. That's a little sobering. And you think, now, here's the good news about God. He's the God of the second chance, the third chance, the fourth chance. You know, he always wants to redeem. And here's the other point I want to make. He says, after that, God's plan unfolded clearly before my eyes. God is Jehovah sneaky. And he does do this thing where he says, hey, why don't you do this with no game plan, right? And he only gives you the game plan after you've said yes, right? So, hey, why don't you go to... Iris School of Ministry and, you know, go live in Mozambique and do their mission school. And you're like, you're asking me why? I'll give you 10 reasons. One, I don't have the money. Two, I don't, you know, have this. I don't have that. I don't have this, that, the next thing. Actually, he's not looking for reasons. He's just looking, that sounds like a great idea. And then he reveals the plan of how that works. All right? So if it's that simple, why do we do this? Why do we automatically, by default, reject the destiny that God has for us? Well, I can think of three reasons. The first reason is humorous. We actually think God made a mistake. Think about that for a second. We think it's God who made the mistake. But actually, that's what we think. If you're ever in a bet with God, side with what he's betting on as as a general rule of thumb. Because when you argue with God, you're basically calling him a liar. And you're walking in huge amounts of pride. Might look like humility, but we call that false humility. It, I, I would say it takes tremendous humility to accept the call of God on your life. Because basically you're, you are saying yes to something you know you cannot do. And you have no idea how he's going to do it at that point. That requires huge humility. And if you haven't yet experienced that, probably the number one thing God's working on is killing the pride that's going to prevent you from having the humility to say yes. 
That was totally my experience. My experience was God just came to me and said, hey, I don't want you to do what you're about to do. And I was like, why? What I'm about to do is awesome. And he's like, I just don't. And I'm God and that's that. And I was like, well, do you have something else for me? And he's silent. And so it was at the point that I had to sacrifice all my hopes and dreams. And then by the way, go through like a five, six year desert where nothing happened and he didn't tell me anything. Then he was like, hey, what about this? And I'm like, are you kidding me? We couldn't, you couldn't have just said, hey, don't do this, do this. And he's like, yeah, but then you would have picked it for the wrong reason. I'm in the business of killing off idols in your life, not presenting new ones. Often, and I'm almost loath to say this because you'll do what I did. Often, God will ask you to sacrifice the very thing you want only to give it back to you better. But here's why I don't want to say that because you'll do what I did. It was like, okay, this is one of those things where I give this up and then you give it back to me, right? Okay, I'll give it up. Can I have it back now? Right, and you missed the whole point of the lesson and you just revisit it a year from now, okay? Um, what's funny is if you have that reaction, which I did, you're, you're not unique. You're the same as everybody else in the Bible. Um, and I'll give you some examples in a second. But we actually have to realize that at the moment of salvation, we asked Jesus to save us. There was this small print on the contract that we didn't just receive Jesus as Savior, but we also received him as Lord, right? You know that verse that says, you are not your own, you were bought with a price. You're now actually sold out to somebody else who's much smarter than you are. And you're actually gonna have a fairly miserable life if you keep on insisting that you get to do it your way. Now he's gracious, he'll let you do that. But why settle, right? I'll tell you why you settle. Because A, he doesn't tell you what the glory is up ahead. And B, the path to that glory just looks like boot camp, okay? You're just like, I like it here. It's warm, safe Starbucks. It's great. You want me to give this up for mystery door number X? He's like, yeah, it'll be great. Listen, I guarantee that what God wants to do with your life is so magnificent you can barely entertain the concept of the theory of the idea that he has in store for you. If I was smart, I would have put in that song on the Jesus culture thing, Come Away. You know that first song where he's like, Come Away. I was going to burst into a song, but for the, <laughs> for the benefit of all of you, I'll refrain. Anyway, he says, you know, Come Away. It's going to be great. It's going to be full of me. God is so confident that he can satisfy your utter desires. He's asking you to give up everything and follow him. And speaking from experience, it's flipping awesome. Flipping awesome. Like, honestly, every time an opportunity comes up for God to say, what about this? I push all my poker chips to the center of the table. Really without a second thought, do we? I mean, I, I, he's just so incredible and I have just given up trying to scheme ways to improve my life. Okay, there you go. First thing, God made a mistake. Second reason we say no to God or we argue with him is that we see no evidence of it in our life. We're just like, are you kidding right now? If that's you, I have a verse for you tonight. You might want to get it tattooed somewhere, but don't tell your parents I told you to get it tattooed. Romans 4 verse 17 says, God is the God who gives life to the dead 
and calls things that are not as though they were. And I would say to you guys, if you have seen calls of God die, that's actually part of the process. And I want to encourage you that it's God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. That's Romans 4.17. Think about it. Let me just give you a quick survey of Bible. You've got Moses, an old man beyond his years. He has a stutter and a stick. And yet God says, go lead slaves from the most powerful nation on earth. You've got Gideon, who's the least in his family from the weakest clan, and God greets him as a mighty warrior. Talk about calling things that are not as though they were. You've got David, the little shepherd boy, the runt of the litter that God says, I'm going to make you king over all of Israel. Oh, and by the way, your son's going to have a throne that will last forever. I'm just, I'm just going to throw in because I know it's going to tickle you pink, but actually the savior of all the world is going to come from your lineage. All right? You be a shepherd and think, okay, what's the best thing that could happen to me today? I don't get attacked by a lion. And God's like, Pfft. So seriously, think about right now, what is the single best thing that could happen to you? And I guarantee you, and I'm not trying to poo-poo your dream or your vision, but I'm just saying it's nothing compared to the majesty that God has in store for you. You know, at some point it says in Scripture that we're actually going to judge angels. At times I can't even judge if this matches or not. I'm like, babe, can I go out like this? Like, how am I going to judge angels? Jeremiah, right when he's eight years old, scholars think, the Lord comes to him and says, hey, point you as a prophet to nations. And he's like, oh, sovereign Lord, I don't even know how to speak. Right? What's our first response? Oh, no, you got it wrong. Wrong guy, guy next door, big beard, looks like a great prophet. <laughs> but that's what he says. And he says, you know, before you were even conceived, I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Mary, this one's great. An unwed mother of a perceived illegitimate child. Sucks to be you. Just kidding. You're the mother of the savior of the world. (laughs) Like seriously, God is messing with us. The disciples, what a completely unruly law. You got tax collectors who are hated. You got fishermen who are as rough as could be. You got one of them who's a political zealot, right? And Jesus, in his infinite wisdom, trusts them with his worldwide mission. Seriously, 12 sketchy guys. There you go. I'm off to heaven. Have fun. Okay. Hey, by the way, I've read the end of the book. It all ends out well. You'll see. You'll work it out. But it's just like, what? And then we were talking last week about Saul of Tarsus, a terrorist and the early church's worst nightmare. God's like, ah, you're going to be an apostle and you're going to write major portions of the New Testament. So don't be sitting there And by the way, this message is for me, okay? If if this is helpful to any of you, great. But it's primarily, I'm just speaking to myself. So don't be sitting there just thinking, I can't do this. Because it wasn't your idea in the first place. AJ, come and talk about your, the beginning of your invitation to stuff. So a lot of you guys have heard this story before, but Alan was just saying, you know, maybe you could um, share about it. Um, in in 2004, uh, I had just returned from YWAM, and the renewal broke out at our church. And, it, and within that year, um, five different 
prophets, like sort of major recognized prophets, called me out, and all of them gave me the exact same word. Um, like we're talking about when I, when I say called me out, like out of crowds of like you know, at the least eight hundred people, at the most twenty five hundred people, kind of thing. And I wasn't one of those people that wore red and sat near the front. I was like wear gray and sit at the back because I just I didn't really want to get picked out. I didn't know what to do with it. I wasn't really sure about so many things and I was still really, really hurting. And um, so anyway, they all gave me the exact same word about, I see the Lord taking you. You're going to travel the world. You're going to speak to groups of people. I see you speaking in stadiums. It hasn't happened yet, but it will. And, uh, you know, so stuff like that. And I was like, oh, okay. And I I remember like every single time I was like, gosh, these guys are supposed to be good. You know, like they're supposed to actually be able to prophesy. Just saying, you know, because I was like, they are so far off. I mean, it wasn't anywhere near my plan for my life. My plan wasn't to be in ministry. My plan was to go and be a lawyer. Um, It just was like totally the opposite end of things. And, you know, the idea of me speaking at the time, I mean, I I had a a little cell group and I was leader and there was four girls and I would get nervous every week because I had to talk to four people not joking, like every week I would practice what I was going to teach and whatever. And I would get so stressed because I really, I just would get stressed talking to anybody if it was more than one person and one person I could handle, you know? So when I heard stuff like that and I hated traveling, so you're going to travel the world, (laughs) hate it, hate traveling, you know? So I was just like, these guys are so far off. And I remember the last time that it happened, I was standing next to John and Carol. Um, and you know, so they picked me, I was, easier to see that day. Um, but they gave me the exact same word and I nudged John and he goes, so what do you think, AJ? And I said, I think they're all smoking the same drugs, John, you know? And he was like, okay. And I'm like, they've just totally missed it. You know, they've totally missed it. And, uh, it was like a month or two later where I had a dream where I was, you know, I had traveled and I was speaking in this stadium and the Lord had, you know, throughout my life spoken to me through dreams and I knew when it was him, you know, and I remember just sort of going, oh God, if this is your plan, I'm in trouble. Like I'm in, I'm in, you know, because I've heard people say, you know, God's never going to tell you something, a prophetic word that you haven't already heard before. That's not my experience. I think that's nonsense. Um, Maybe that's some of the time, but I think God can also sort of blindside you if you're not, if you're not really paying attention and go, actually, we're going over here, you know? So anyway, I remember having that dream and I woke up and I was like, okay, Lord, I, I, I recognize prophecy as an invitation. So I'm going to say yes, but you've got a lot of work to do because I, again, I don't want to travel and I don't want to speak. And, uh, and then it was seven years of a lot of work, you know, and mostly it was my heart stuff. Like Alan was saying, a lot of, a lot of dying and, uh, and, and also a lot of training, like just sort of going, okay, God, if this is what you have for me, I guess I should start writing sermons. And to begin with, they were pretty miserable, but I would bring them to people that were way further along and go, could you help me with this? And I just kept dying until God said, okay, you're good to go. So is that what you want me to say? Yeah, that was perfect. And then maybe some kisses. Okay. okay. Anna Lee Ward, where are you? Where's Anna Lee? She just left. Okay, she just texted me something. I was going to embarrass her, but that's the way to do it. If you're going to text me something, then run away, okay? <laughs> Top tip. So I love it that 
Actually, it, the, that was a story I wanted AJ to tell, but the other story I thought of was the first time she ever got a prophetic word was Mark DuPont, who we've met before. And, you know, I don't really want to tell the story without the context, but I don't have the time to tell the context. Basically, he pulls her out of the crowd and says this to her. He says, if you don't want your life, he said, I know about your gold box and I know about your letters. And was it that in the weeks previous to that, AJ had written her suicide letters. She's going to kill herself. She'd written all her goodbye letters and she'd put them in a gold box. So here's this prophet she's never met. said, hey, I know about your gold box. I see your gold box. I see your letters. And this is what the Lord says. If you don't want your life, which she didn't, why don't you give it to me and see what I can do with it? And so she just shrugged her shoulders like, I don't want my life. I'm ready to kill myself. So why not take it? And so I love that the Lord took that broken, suicidal, anxious, bulimic, and anorexic. Can you be both at the same time? My wife's always been an overachiever. Um, if you're going to be both those things, you know, if you're going to be in that place, that, that mess of a person that God then used, patched her up and then sent her around the world to bring healing to thousands of people. But she actually had to say yes, because God likes to partner, not control. I remember for me being a school teacher, going to a church you've never heard of. Um, and this is years down the line and God beginning to speak to me. I told you a story about Coke and glass bottles, didn't I? I remember one day finding my supermarket sold Coke in glass bottles. And I was so excited. And that night I was with the Lord and he commented on that. And he said, Alan, he said, you're so cute. He said, you think Coke in glass bottles is cool? He said, wait till you see what I have in store for you for your life. And so I said, Lord, well, why don't you tell me? He said, I, I can't tell you. He said, because you won't believe me and then I'll have to judge you for not believing me. So in my mercy, I'm not going to tell you because you, you won't contain it. And so I, you know, I kept praying and you know, just saying, okay, God, give me a little bit. And he began to tell me some of the stuff that I'd be doing, like going to nations and prophesying over nations. Now, that was so... I mean, I can't even tell you how unlikely that was. And yet I you know, had the previous word that he told me. I was just like, okay, God, I'll do that. I have no idea how that's going to happen. I have no idea how that looks. And you know, some years later, here I am, the chief end time apostolic prophetic voice to the intergalactic nations and surrounding galaxies. <laughs> and you know, on the side underwear model to Europe, it's just incredible what he does. And so here's the point in all of that is, the old saying that people say that God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. Okay, so if you're disqualifying yourself, sitting there going, yeah, but I'm not this, I'm not that. Actually, if you can actually just say yes to God, then he's just like perfect. You know, it's hard because we look at the people that we esteem. Heidi Baker, for example. I don't know why a Christian wouldn't esteem that woman. But you speak to her and she has no concept of, you know, how we perceive her. She's just like, I'm just a little old lady that loves the lost. And she said, you know what? There's a time I didn't even love the lost. I just kept saying yes to God. And so the danger, not the danger, but you look at that and go, oh my gosh, that's amazing. She just said, all I did was keep saying yes to God. The last one, or the last thing, I think, the reason we say no to God is 
plain old fashioned, the fear of man. We're frightened of what other people will think of us if we say what we think God's called us to. We're frightened that people will think we're proud or arrogant. That's that thin line again. We're frightened of what will become if we say yes. I remember saying, God, like I wanna give my life to you, but I don't wanna be like those Christians that are just freaks. You know what? I found that being freakish is actually really fun. (laughs) You know, but we're actually, the people that we've seen that we don't want to become, we've judged and that actually keeps us from entering into what God wants to do. We're frightened of what if we actually give it all to God and then it doesn't happen? Or what if he tricks us? What if we say yes and it doesn't quite turn out like we thought it would? What if we try it and we fail? What if we actually say yes and then nothing happens? Basically, you have to get over yourself. We all do. See, the dangerous thing is we can walk in what we think is humility, but it's actually false humility. And, you know, Moses tried that. If you're wondering how you determine whether you're walking in humility, I would say that pride is an unqualified confidence in your own ability or accomplishments. And I'd say humility is just a simple acceptance of God's ability to accomplish that which he said he will. Or simply, it's just agreeing with God. It is horrible, and I know, to publicly say, I think this is what God's called me to. Because you run the risk of everybody going, seriously, seriously, do you? Because often God calls you when you've got no evidence of it happening, because it's just what he loves to do. He's like, here, here's a fast track to humility. You know, when Graham was here, he was teaching on this and I have a clip of him. He was uh, reading from Exodus 7, where the Lord says to um, Moses, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh and your brother like a prophet. And Graham made this point that actually you have to see what God says about you before you can embrace it. You actually have to have a vision for it. You actually have to have a a place for it. And you have to see it to become it. But I would say you have to go more than just seeing it. You actually have to see it. There's this principle that's called expression reinforces impression. So how many of you have had like an inkling in your heart that I think God is maybe asking me to go to YWAM, right? But it sounds dumb and there's a thousand reasons why you shouldn't. But then you go and share it with your friend or your parents or your pastor or your cell leader or whatever. And as you express the impression that's in your heart, it gets reinforced and you're like, actually, it doesn't sound that nuts. And especially when other people are like, oh, I totally see that in you. I remember the time, I remember very clearly to this day, the time I met with my small group, um, back in Scotland, and it was the fateful day or week after the Lord had spoken to me and said, Alan, I want you to be a teacher, right? Now, those of you who know me in the capacity of a teacher are just like, what's so funny about that? Well, I was the last person on planet Earth that should be teaching anybody, okay? Let alone children, okay? I just despised them. I was just like, dear God, they're horrible, okay? I did not like human beings. I just, seriously, just give me a room full of computers, And I just like had no patience and just, okay. 
And I remember meeting with my cell at that point and they were saying, hey, prayer times. And I just dropped my head and said, guys, I wonder if you could pray for me. I think God's called me to be a teacher. And the whole room burst out laughing, right? Not, not uh, don't be so stupid. They were all just like, well, duh, God wants you to be a teacher. You'll be an amazing teacher. And honestly, for me, I was like, really? They were like, oh my gosh, you'd be great at it. And it was so encouraging for me that as I expressed this thing that just sounded nuts to me, and I'm sure that God was just like, God, seriously? Like, is this one of those silent times between the Old Testament and the New Testament? You know, have you been playing golf? Have you been out in the sun too long? Because this does not sound like it's going to make sense. And yet people were like, hey, yeah, go for it. Now, when I say that you, you've probably heard me say this before. If you have to tell people what you are, they're never going to believe you right? How many of you have met people who have just told you ludicrous things and you're just like, sure. Like, oh, totally, totally. I'm going to be just like a world famous musician. You're like, you and the rest of Nashville, okay? You know, like if you're honest or you know, people are like, oh yeah, God's totally called me to this. And you're like, maybe he has, but maybe he has. You know, now the point of telling this is not so that other people believe you. The point of you telling this is so that you believe you. You're telling this and you're making this statement for you. I want to play this clip from when Graham was here. Now, for those of you who don't know Graham, Graham is a very, very well-respected author and prophet and his ministry is you know, dearly loved by people around the world. He's a recognized prophet. He has you know, years and years and years of experience. And so you look at Graham and you think, okay, he's a successful prophet and you know, a great guy, full of wisdom, just an awesome guy. But there was a point in his life that he experienced exactly what I'm talking about. And he said, you know, he was filling in the blanks for us. He said, you know, in the late 80s, he said, there was nothing, there was no prophetic ministry anywhere. To suggest that you were a prophet was ludicrous, okay? Because the only mindset people had was, you know, of Elijah and, you know, John the Baptist. And so just ludicrous. There's no, no forerunners in the prophetic. There's nobody to say, you know, today if you said, I think God's called me to prophetic ministry, people would go, oh yeah, okay, sure. But back then, there was nothing. And so this is the person who's mentoring him saying, actually, I think you need to take a step forward. And so I want you to listen to this. It's just a couple of minutes. He said to me, this is in the 90s, in the late 80s. He called me up one day. He said, what on earth is wrong with you? I said, probably lots of things if you're calling me. (laughs) He said, why is it that you've not told people you're a prophet yet? And I said, okay, I give up. Why is it? (laughs) And he said, well, it's probably because you're a plank. Never minced his words. So he said, when are you going to do it? I said, okay, I'll do it. I'll get around to it. So a week later... I get something in the mail. It's just a round piece of wood. And on it, it's just got to it. T-U-I-T. He said, okay, now that you've got a round to it, get on with it. And I was mentored by some really weird people. Thankfully, they're all being weird in heaven right now. So anyway, I chose a place like 400 miles away. I was doing a conference. And I just, you know, in my first session, I just stood up and I said, I just want you all to know that I've been in training in the ministry and so on, blah, 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 for 100 years. And 
I just want you to know that I, I, I just want to say that I really believe that I am a prophet. Yeah, that's pretty much what happened. <laughs> yep. Whoa. Just having a flashback right there. <laughs> Whoa. Sozo. Sozo. Help. <laughs> that was pretty much it. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> it just went down like a rat sandwich. You know, I mean, it just... So then I get home from the conference and I get a phone call. What on earth was that? I said, what was what? He said, you go 400 miles away and confess you're a prophet. I said, how do you know? Who do you know that was in the event? He said, I don't know anybody. I said, dude, that's cheating. He said, well, I have to cheat when I'm mentoring a plank like you. Okay. Then he calls me on it. He says, oh, you can't do that. It's got to be right in front of your family, your home crowd. Man alive. But you know, when I said it a second time, there was silence apart from a few sniggers. But it's okay because actually it's not about other people receiving it. It's actually about me speaking it. It's about me owning it. I'm not expecting everybody to own it as soon as they hear it. I'm expecting people to question it. I'm expecting people to say, really? Is that with an F or a PH? <laughs> so there you go. Even the great prophets of the world had to wrestle with their own insecurities and their own struggles and their own, like, seriously, God. I remember, and I don't think this is breaching any confidence, but I remember speaking to James Gall, again, another, you know, incredible internationally recognized prophet. And I said to him, James, I said, like, I said, how, how did you cope and how did you know you were a prophet? And, you know, I was talking about my struggles and, you know, my struggles and walking in an identity. And, and he said, you know, Alan, he said, there's nothing, he said, quite like, thinking you're a prophet, being in Kansas City, when there's all these other prophets that you think are better than you. He said, you know, when the guy in front of you just got off reading people's phone numbers out of thin air and zip codes, and then they pass the microphone to you, and you can't prophesy like that, you instantly want to disqualify yourself. Well, I'm not a prophet because I'm not like them. Or I'm not a teacher because I can't teach. Or I'm not an evangelist because I don't save that many people. And he said, actually, the, the death sentence on walking in your destiny is comparison. She said, at all costs, just don't compare. It doesn't help. So I want to wrap this up and just say, it really is just a thin line. And I guess my challenge to you tonight is don't deny your calling or what God's called you to for fear of what's on the other side of that line, for fear that people are going to think you're arrogant or weird or ludicrous or mental or whatever. Because if you reject your call, you actually ultimately end up rejecting other people. Can I be a little bit transparent for five minutes? Yeah, okay, just hold this. I'm kidding. <laughs> Don't want you to see the glory, it's fine. It's, 
for me personally, it's taken a while to learn that I have significance. What I mean by that is not significance to the Father. I've known I've had significance to the Father for many years, but it's taken me a while to understand that I have significance to you all, that I'm significant to you. Now, those of you who are here for your first time, you're like, what the heck are you talking about? I'm talking to people who know me and have walked with me. And AJ and I were having lunch today with a dear friend, someone we love very dearly, And she happened to say this to us. She said, I feel so loved that you asked me to lunch. And my first thought was, really? That's so weird. And part of that is because I'm not wired as a quality time person, right? And this person happens to be. But given it was my first thought, it also became the first thing I said because I haven't learned to filter anything. Wait, what did I just do? And so I said, you know, really? And she said, yeah, you, you know, I think of her as a friend. And she said, yeah, you are my friend, but you're also my mentors and you're my pastors. And when she said that, the penny dropped. Because I don't often think of myself, rarely think of myself as a pastor or a leader or a spiritual father or a mentor. I, I just don't think in terms of that. Partly because I haven't really adjusted into the transition of my calling. Am I making sense? And what I realized was that I honestly would wonder why people would want to connect with me. And understand, this isn't out of some sort of um, insecurity. I'm re- I like me, okay? <laughs> but I would just, I, it just didn't dawn on me that actually I had significance to some of you, that you would actually, you know, like want to connect with me just because you want to connect with me. And... I didn't understand my identity really as a pastor or you know, any of the things I said before. And so because I'd rejected that call, what would happen is people would feel rejected around me. It's very funny. The other day I was speaking to, um, again, some people I love and they're, you know, I was speaking to them about an event that's happening and they said, oh, we were going to ask you to come to the event, but we didn't think you liked us. I was like, why would you think that I didn't like you? they're like, I don't know, I just always got that vibe. I was like, for me, that's like the strangest thing because there are very, very few people I don't like, okay? They all have to use windows. It's just odd. I don't know what that is. But no, there's, you know, I have to think very hard to think of people I don't like. And even if I don't like them, I can still relate to them, right? So I'm like, what? what's going on? And I realized that as I reject the thought that I have significance to people in doing so, I reject other people. So as the great apostle Winnie the Pooh once said, I'm a bear of very little brain. And I'm really sorry that I am slow of understanding. And I'm beginning, honestly, beginning to understand that my main calling in life is to be a man of God. Now, I know that sounds, you know, large, but really it's just to actually represent God wherever I go and influence my community, my sphere of influence, but which you, by the very nature that you're here, are part of that sphere of influence. And so I understand that I'm called to a lifestyle of wisdom and revelation, but here's the thing about wisdom and revelation. It's no good if you keep it to yourself. So if you've come up against a prickly side of me or you've thought that I don't like you, that's simply not true. It's just I'm a social idiot at times. And I'm just someone who's only now coming around to the idea that I have significance 
and I haven't yet learned to walk in that identity. Does that make sense? Some of you are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. You're always friendly, always approachable. And so instead of denying that call on my life, I'm now starting to live it. Thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> Faith, life, communication, tacos and video games, paleo donuts and the kindness of God are things we deal with every day. From Franklin, Tennessee, they are just like you and me. Alan and AJ, keeping up with the Joneses, keeping up with the Joneses, sharing their life experiences. Keeping up with the Joneses, keeping up with the Joneses, they talk about faith in God and everything under the sun. If you are a human being, there's something here for everyone. 